freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you a minute. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! It's good to hear that Jay Buter clip in there when he punched me in the kidney. True story. He did do that. It hurt. And a few months later, I got a kidney stone. I don't know if those things are related, but I still think I should probably sue the <laughs> yeah, bone on that. Probably. Well, hey, man, you did make him, make him number one, though, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And Bones ranked? Yeah, he was number one. Yeah, because yeah, I love Jay, as it turns out. He <laughs> hit me so hard. I, w- I was in the old studio over there. I was standing up, talking to Brock with my back to the uh, – I mean, we were on the air – Back to the to the door, and he walked in. I didn't hear him or see him, and he just drilled me right in the kidney. I almost went down. It was hard, and I, I think I've mentioned this before. Afterwards, I would try to get back at him, and so I would like come up behind him and punch him in the you know in the back and the side, and he'd just like yeah, turn around like and be punching like, a tree trunk. Dude, he is so strong. <laughs> He's built like a rock. And so I saw Jay at the All Star game the other night. Talked to him for a few minutes, and uh, he, he still honestly looks like he could go out and play nine innings. He looks incredible. That dude works so hard on his fitness and all that stuff. He is, uh, he's an awesome dude. I love JB and her. Anyway, uh, we got, uh, you know, it's, it's off season list time in football and it's mid season grading time in baseball. So David Schoenfeld of ESPN.com did his uh, grading yesterday and there were a bunch of F's, even an F minus. Which you don't see every day. Didn't even go to the A's. It went to the Royals. They got an F minus. Uh, the A's only got an F. Cardinals got an F. I think the Mets got an F. Padres might have gotten an F. I mean, there were a bunch of teams in that D and F range. And the Mariners were not there, contrary to popular opinion. The Mariners did not get an F. Uh, they got a C minus. It's probably where I would put them. Right in that range. And I might give them a C. Maybe I'm an easy grader in my old age. I'm getting old and soft. But I, I, that, that, they certainly can't get an A or a B. But I can't give them a D or an F because they're not out and because their pitching has been phenomenal. And to give them anything worse than a C or a C minus to me is overlooking all of the success they've had on the pitching side. So here's uh, here's what Schoenfeld wrote. Hold on. Where are my readers? Let me get these on so I can read you what he wrote. He says, uh, question, is this the most disliked team in Mariners history? We'll come back to that in a moment. That was the theory Seattle Times columnist Larry Stone recently proposed. The argument has its merits. As for the first time in more than two decades, the Mariners had legitimate World Series aspirations after last year's thrilling playoff run. Instead, they refused to significantly increase the payroll. The offense has stagnated with too many strikeouts, and the pitching hasn't been good enough to make up for it. Maybe most frustratingly, Julio Rodriguez is not matching his rookie exploits, hitting 249, 13 home runs, but also 101 strikeouts in 87 games. Wow. So the Mariners are currently a boring, mediocre team. However... They did respond right before the break, closing with seven wins and nine games against the Rays, Giants, and Astros, including taking three or four against Houston. They also start the second half with a 10-game homestand, so if there's a run to come, maybe it starts now. Is this the most disliked Mariner team in history? No, it's not. The 2000, at least in my history here, you can't touch the 2010 Mariners. With Sean Figgins and Casey Kochman, because not only were expectations high for that team, and not only did they disappoint those expectations, they were toast 
by this part of the season. They were already trading away Cliff Lee. They were fighting with each other, like openly in the dugout. They were horrible to each other, to the fans. That was an awful team that was was brutally, brutally nasty, even as in personality. Yeah, fully cancerous. Yeah. There is nothing about this team that is like that. This team's struggling to hit. There's no doubt. Through half the year, they've disappointed. They might be the most disappointing team in Mariner history. I don't know that I could call them dislikable. They don't do things that dislikable teams do. Boring? That's an interesting question. Teams that don't hit can certainly look boring. And unfortunately for the Mariners, they haven't done enough this year to put the game in motion, to do some of those things that make the game exciting, whether it's because they don't get on base enough or whether it's, you know, for other reasons and not built that way, whatever. I'm still not entirely sure. Last year, that was a staple of this team. Dylan Moore, Sam Haggerty. Well, guess what? Neither of those guys have mattered at all this year. Haggerty did nothing when he was up. Didn't hit, didn't get on base, and they weren't able to use him in the right spots as a pinch runner. And Dylan Moore, what is he hitting? 050? I think he has one hit and it's a home run since he came up. So, you know, and and he's not been able to 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 be used as a pinch runner late in games to really affect things. So some of that speed quotient and pressurizing quotient, for most of the year, they've been unable to use it. Caballero brings it on occasion. Colton Wong should be able to bring some of that when he's when he's going right. In theory, Dylan Moore should still be able to do it. Julio can still do it. They've got guys. Kelnick can do it. That can put pressure on you with their speed and with their aggressiveness, etc. But for whatever reason, that element of the game has simply not happened. And uh, until last week or so, the comebacks have been non-existent. And those are all the markings of an exciting, likable team. So I'm not I'm not mad at Larry Stone for asking the question at all. And I'm not mad at, at David Schoenfeld for his rating, his grade, or the questions that, that he, you know, puts out there either. I think they're all fair. I don't know that I could go to dislikable for this team. As for the rest of it, some of it's real, some of it's narrative. And they're going to need to, to, if they want to change that narrative, they have to just play better. It's pretty simple. Just hit better. How do you feel uh, this last sentence of the first paragraph? Instead, they refuse to significantly increase the payroll. Okay. The offense has said, you know, too many strikeouts. Yes. And the pitching hasn't been good enough to make up for it. Well, I think what he's saying is the pitching would have to be like the best of all time. They'd have to be the best of all Okay, because so many metrics they are. They'd have to be the 90s Braves in order to make up for it. And, I mean, they've been unbelievable, but they haven't been perfect, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And Marco had his struggles this year, and Flexen had his struggles this year, right? losing, right, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the pitching has been shockingly good. But has it been enough to make up for just how bad proof? No, right. Right. That's a great, great word for it. So I I think he's pretty right on. I still have a lot of hope for the second half, despite all of that. And I think that's why I I don't think they're the most disliked team in Mariner history. First of all, they have Julio at the center part of it. Right at the center is Julio. I don't know whether you heard any of the uh, reaction from the fans to Julio over the weekend. It's pretty good. In fact, I wrote a little bit about it. If you have a few minutes, SeattleSports.com. Put down some thoughts last night on Julio and and his connection to this fan base. It's unlike most players. We talked a little bit about this the other day, but I, I started really kind of focusing on it last night. I mean, 
there do seem to be five motivating factors for players or at least motivating groups. Cause I didn't, I didn't include the desire for championships. I think that is sort of everywhere, but money, and by the way, that's not a bad thing. I'm not crushing anybody for being motivated by money. This is their opportunity to change the lives for them and their future generation. So I, I, I'm not, that's not a, a negative. But for some guys, they're mostly motivated by money. For some, it's religion and God. For some, it is um, their teammates. I think that's very common, right? Playing on a team for your brothers and sisters, etc. For some, it's themselves. And I put this in the in the piece at salesports.com. You know, when, when we talked about it the other day, I kind of used that as a little punchline on Russell Wilson and made it sound as if playing for yourself or your legacy is a bad thing. I don't know that I mean that. In Russell's case, I think it overcame him and put him in a bad spot. But I'd put Michael Jordan in that category. Yeah. I'd put Larry yeah. Bird in that category. And I could probably come up it. with a few dozen others. I don't know that it's bad to be motivated that way. It just kind of got away from Russell a little bit. How many guys can you say are truly and mostly motivated by the fans? I think it's rare. I'm not saying guys don't like the fans, that they're not, you know, in some way connected to them. And by the way, Julio is motivated by other things as well. His teammates and his legacy and money. All I'm sure all of those things motivate him. I'm not trying to say they don't. But I just can't come up with a player with more interest in the fans with more connective ability with the fans. David Ortiz comes close and that's a comp we've made a whole bunch of times with Julio Rodriguez for good reason. So I don't know any team with Julio in the middle of it is not going to be the most disliked. And I think that the Kelnick story has been really likable. Cal's still really likable. The pitching has been unbelievable. There's a couple of guys that are frustrating Unfortunately, you know, Colton Wong, A.J. Pollock, and a few others have been maddening. People are certainly upset with the management and the the ownership, and I understand why. But I don't know that I could call this the most disliked Mariner team in history. I don't think that's the right word. It's I think not. It's, uh, but I do. Th- I think boring, that you said earlier, was a good word, and I think that's why people are frustrated. We just got a text. The 509 said, I think this M's team is one of the most liked teams. That's why people are so frustrated yes, with the performance. Because they want a little so bit more. So when you're watching, like, a, there's been times this year where we've all said, I don't even, like, I don't know that I want to watch this game tonight. It's so frustrating. And so I think that's more what it is. You're like, why are we seeing this lifeless, boring, boring performance from this team that, like, we love these guys, and we saw how fun they were last year. And, and, and unfortunately, and this is what I brought up earlier with the trade deadline, some of the guys that have struggled the most are the guys that are the most fun. I mean, the two corner yeah, infielders Suarez, should be Ty two France, of the most right. fun guys on this team, Ty France and Eugenio. Both guys have had subpar seasons so far. They haven't done what you expect them to do. I don't know if you're going to upgrade that at the trade deadline because that's essentially the nucleus of the team. But when you're looking and pointing fingers, that's where some of those fingers get pointed. So I I don't think they're dislikable at all. That's not the word that I would use. Boring at times. Frustrating, yes. But certainly, I would not give up on them because they're only four games back in the wild card. They're only six games back in the division. Texas has been floundering for the last month, and the second half starts tomorrow. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. 
up first. Well, what an unbelievable all-star week in Seattle. Epic even would be a good way to describe it. Unfortunately, not as many people around the country saw it as you might have liked. The ratings are out. Kind of a mixed bag. So we'll start with the bad news. Lowest rated all-star game in history. It's about a 7.1 million people tuning in across the country. That's down slightly from last year. Now, all of that said, for all the talk that baseball's losing the younger generation, that was the demo that was actually up, 18 to 49, first time that has risen in nine years. So maybe there's some good news even kind of mixed in for the game of baseball. It still is the most watched All-Star game in sports. Despite declining viewership, MLB All-Star game is about 7 million viewers versus the NFL, which is 6, 6.3, NBA at 4.6, NHL at 1.5 million. So... They're still doing pretty darn well for a national event like that. That's a pretty good number. Oh, by the way, the top city in terms of ratings, guess what? Right here in Seattle. Despite the 50,000 people or so that were there, there were still another uh, ton of huge group of people that tuned in. They did an 8.4 rating, which is fantastic. Uh, That was ahead of uh, markets like Atlanta, Baltimore, Cincy, and Philly, which rounded out the top five. Really surprised Dallas, Texas wasn't on there. Really surprised that L.A. and San Francisco weren't on there. Somebody send that information to Shohei Otani and let him know how much they care about baseball here in Seattle. By the way, uh, speaking of growing the game, the world tour uh, for baseball continues in 2024. Four more international destinations. London, Mexico City, Santa Domingo, and for the first time ever, Seoul, South Korea. Pretty cool. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, one more day off here today, and then the Mariners start a second half tomorrow that begins with a sprint to the trade deadline. Minnesota, Detroit, Toronto, that's a 10-game homestand, just what this team needs right now after having won seven of their last nine games. At the end of those 10, though, we should be about a week away from the trade deadline. How can they improve? John Morosi has thoughts. Do not be surprised if he buys and sells, meaning... He flips Teoscar, maybe gets some more pitching back, and then packages some stuff together and gets a younger bat and then gets gets a younger arm. He could do both. Uh, that, that to me, is is one thing to watch. Obviously, Teoscar's been playing well, so I, I don't, I, I'm not meaning to say that he's quote-unquote available, but, but Jerry has some options here. And believe me when I tell you, I've talked to people around the industry, a lot of GMs would love to have the hand that Jerry DePoto is sitting with right now at the poker table. They would love it because he has got exactly what everybody wants. Yeah, that's right. He's got controllable young pitching, and he's got a ton of it, and that is something teams are certainly looking for. Pretty good farm system with some pieces to deal as well. So what does he need? Second base, DH, another outfielder, starting pitcher. Those would probably be the four spots that I would identify. The question for me, though, we brought this up a few minutes ago, Would you choose to upgrade any of the positions that were supposed to be solid heading into the year? You're going to try to upgrade first base? You're going to try to upgrade third base? Catcher? I mean, those are positions you weren't talking about in the offseason because they were pretty well locked down, but all three have kind of underperformed this year. Would you try to improve on Ty France for not just this year, but the future? Maybe. Maybe that is a direction they choose to go. I don't know. Luis Castillo will get the ball tomorrow as they start the second half. Here's the third thing you need to know. Please welcome this year's recipient of the Pat Tillman Award for Service, the training staff of the Buffalo Bills. That was last night at the ESPYs, and that was the voice of Damar Hamlin 
who was choked up in tears, had to turn around a couple of different times, and then finally welcomed the trainers and medical staff that saved his life to the stage. They hugged, they embraced. It really was an incredible moment. Just given what all of us watched last year and the belief that I think most of us had that there was a good chance we had seen someone die on the NFL football field, something you know, that just would have been not impossible to imagine because I think it was always sort of out there as a possibility, but really difficult to stomach, obviously. And the fact that it didn't happen and that those people were as prepared as they were and, and that he's doing as well as he is, it, it's really an incredible story. And the SB seems to give us one of those every single year. Elsewhere last night, Patrick Mahomes won Best Male Athlete. Michaela Schifrin won Best Female Athlete. Here, let me play you this. Her speech I really liked as well. This season was absolutely incredible. And there was a lot of talk about records. And it got me thinking, why is a record actually important? And... I just feel like it's not important to break records or reset records. It's important to set the tone for the next generation to inspire them. And then inspiration that I feel just being in this room is um, a little bit overwhelming. So I think you can probably tell. So um, thank you for that. And thank you to the fans for voting. And I hope everybody has a really great night. And um, congratulations to the nominees and winners. It was a, an interesting idea, and I, I, I like that 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 uh, mentality of why are you doing this? Well, to try to motivate people in the future, that that's something you strive for in your career. The ESPYS also just has this cool element of game recognized game. Like there's just so many people, and like as she was talking, you could see some of the other famous athletes nodding along and just respecting how much work goes into getting to where they are. I just always liked the event, and it was a blast to go there a few years ago. That's everything you need to know. Uh, We do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. All right. Uh, All right. Coming up next, uh, well, we'll have Jerry DePoto here at 830. We'll talk to him about the trade deadline, about the draft, where his team is at right now. Exciting that they didn't lose last night, so uh, a good time to have Jerry in. (laughs) Coming off a little 7 of 9 and a fun All-Star week, etc. Is there a gigantic franchise-changing move to be made this offseason. I think you know who I'm talking about. It sounds far-fetched to some, but maybe not to those who are around Shohei the most. Stick around. You'll hear some sound that I know you'll like coming up on Brock and Salk. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. It's always interesting to me which stories cross over beyond sports fans. Justin, you were mentioning yesterday that uh, when you came out uh, as you were watching the uh, the drone show, yeah, for the All Star game, and it's oh, got that's like cool. what's all this for the, M- the MLB <laughs> logo, all the All Star stuff. Guy comes out of the bar, is like, huh? What's this all about? Why are they doing this? Like, there's an All Star game. There is. And and there's plenty of Kyle had some stories that were pretty similar of people who just had absolutely no idea that this was going on uh, in the city. And that's Seattle, right? There are there's a group of people here that do not care whatsoever about what is going on in the sports universe. Some of them work for our sister station, 97.3 Cairo News Radio. And occasionally they will have me on the air to talk about whatever's going on in the sports world. So it's always kind of interesting to me what crosses over. It's not always the stuff that we think is the biggest 
But yesterday, uh, I ended up going on both with the morning news and with Gian Ursula because both of them wanted to talk about Shohei Otani and whether or not this was a real possibility for the Mariners. And I kind of gave them both similar answers, which is, yeah, it's a possibility. If I'm handicapping it, the Mariners are probably a distant third to me with the Dodgers being one, the Giants being two. But I think the Mariners are in the three, four range, maybe stays in Anaheim. I guess that's a possibility as well. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of where I would put them. But yeah, you know, chef over there, he's a G's producer. When he called me, he said, hey, like who has a better shot? The Mariners are getting Shohei or me at like, you know, getting a date with the best looking girl from my high school all those years ago. And I'm like, you do. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I, I think you have a better chance because, you know, shoot your shot. Who the heck knows, yeah. man? Like people have weird ideas. This happened yesterday. I was I went to PXG Seattle yesterday and that was the first oh. question that got brought up. Was, really? What was Shohei like? What were you doing over there? Were you, you testing out new putters? No. Yeah, well, the new putters came out yesterday. Ooh. Yeah, so that's why I was uh, battle ready two putters. Kind of fun. Most of that. But uh, that was one of the first questions was, I was Shohei. Right. Is, do you really think that he could, do you really, immediately followed by, like, do you really think he could come here? That, that's what everybody wants to know. Yeah. No one knows the answer to this question. Let me be clear. Buster said that last week. We've heard every. No one knows what he's thinking outside of him. So this is all speculation. But Jeff Fletcher covers the Angels, was on yesterday with Bump and Stacey. Why am I Bump? He was on with Bump and Stacey. Uh, Lefko was filling in for Bump. Oh, okay. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, he also wrote a book about Shohei. So he's so he's pretty, he's pretty <laughs> clued yeah. in. And if you're a Mariner fan, you want to hear sound like this. I mean, I don't think the fans cheering his name probably had any impact. But I think all those other, you know, bigger picture things that I mentioned before all sort of work in Seattle's favor. I think Seattle's definitely one of the teams... It would be on the short list uh, for him, uh, especially with how they've improved lately uh, the last couple of years that they look like they could be a good team. You know, I think the Mariners were probably the runner up the first time when he picked the Angels. And uh, it just kind of came down to he really liked what Billy Upler, the Angels, had to say about the feeling of belonging and the connection that he made to them. You know, I, I think definitely fans in Seattle should should feel like they have a pretty decent chance. All right. Now, maybe we're just setting ourselves up to be heartbroken again, but okay. I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention to that, right? I mean, this Shohei Otani thing is the biggest free agent decision since LeBron, right? I mean, like, I, that's how I would phrase it. The biggest free agent decision since LeBron James made the decision. It's that big. You're talking about a player who could get $500 million because he plays two different positions at once. And oh, by the way, an owner can make the money back by selling advertisements in Japan, which you get to keep entirely to yourself instead of having to revenue share with the rest of the league. Shohei Shohei Otani is a unicorn in two different ways. He's a double unicorn. Think about that. He's a two-horned unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's a unicorn among he's unicorns. Dualicorn. That's he's a dualicorn. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, so, so this sweepstakes is going to be off Are we the charts. Today? We we uh, no, we have something we corns, something though. corns ranked. We could do that. Of course, you get those ones on your feet. You don't want those. Uh, here's a little bit more from Fletcher on what it is Shohei wants. A lot of people think they know. Uh, I think we don't really. I think that we can kind of look at what he did the first time around, which was 
he picked basically West Coast teams and the Rangers and Cubs. Those were the, the teams that he looked at the first time around. Um, I think people mostly still assume that he would like a West Coast team. Uh, I think people assume that he wants a team that is going to be good, obviously, because he wants to win. And I think that a team that's not like a huge media fishbowl where he would be getting all kinds of criticism and all kinds of uh, demands on his time and people, you know, wanting him to do all these extra interviews and, you know, fans booing him if he doesn't do well and all that kind of stuff. I think that we mostly assume that that is not something that he would want to do just because because of he picked the Angels in the first place to kind of avoid that sort of thing. So, uh, but a lot of this is just assumption. We don't really know for sure. So anyway, I think those are kind of what people are, are going off of at this point. Look, if Fletcher wrote a book about the guy and has a pretty good sense as to who he is, he's making a strong case that Seattle has, at the very least, a chance. And I think that that's fair. I think Seattle does have a chance. I've thought that all along. Do I think it's likely to happen? I wouldn't bet. I wouldn't bet anything on it. But absolutely, I think we should talk about it. Absolutely, it's worth getting your hopes up. What's the worst thing that can happen? He goes somewhere else. And the odds are if he does go somewhere else, he's likely to go to the National League, which I think is a good thing, right? I wouldn't mind having Shohei, Obviously. you know, not coming in here and it's, torching the Mariners for the next 10 years. It's a vision from yesterday when you were like, no, I don't even want to I don't even want to let myself go there. Well, I don't know. I I I, I don't think it's going to happen. But I think I'm willing to I'm willing to commit to it. I'm willing to commit to the conversation and kind of see where it ends up taking us. John Morosi offered what is essentially the Mariner pitch to Otani. We can sign you to an already excellent rotation. You're exactly what our lineup needs, and we can add talent around you. That's what I would say. Yeah, I think it's got to be more than that. I think you have to offer more than that. Those things are great. He does want to win. That's why he's leaving Anaheim. To me, that's the start of the pitch. You won't be in Anaheim anymore. (laughs) You won't be playing for Artie Moreno. Right? I mean, like, (laughs) there's some really strong arguments to be made around that. Obviously, Julio's part of the pitch, your young talent, your young pitching, all of those things, your ballpark, what it does in terms of, you know, helping him on the pitching side as he gets older, uh, not to mention, you know, a, a lineup that should be growing. It's, I mean, they know the baseball pitch for him. I appreciate that F- that Fletcher said that he doesn't think that the crowd chanting his name will factor into it. He's probably right. But that doesn't mean it's not part of the pitch. And to me, the pitch, as he said, it's not a crazy media market. It's not Boston or New York. It's not even the L.A. Dodgers when it comes to the amount of scrutiny that you are likely to face while you're here. Can you be private? Yeah, I think you can be fairly private in Seattle. While obviously, you know, it's not a city filled with superstars. We it, could be private because we didn't even know he's been coming here. Well, that's the point I was going to make, right? Like, A, he's been here, <laughs> Sorry, and B, no, that's okay. It, it, it's that and the fact that it has housed tons of billionaires and all yeah, of these giant companies, et cetera. Yeah. Ichiro could obviously speak to that as well as anybody, and maybe that's a conversation that they will have at some point. I don't know. I, I think the second part of that needs to be, look, this is an energetic fan base that is dying to be unleashed, that is dying for somebody to bring them out. 
And Julio has definitely started that process. We saw it with the Cal Raleigh home run last year and into the playoffs. And that's got to be part of the PowerPoint presentation that they make when they talk to him. It also, you've got to find a way to turn your biggest weakness into a strength. And the biggest weakness of the Mariner organization is its reputation slash lack of historical success. They've never won a World Series. They've never been to a World Series. That can be a negative. If you're Shohei Otani and you want to win, that's a big part of why you're leaving Anaheim. The Dodgers are going to be a lot more enticing because they have won and they're ready to win. The Giants are going to be very enticing because they have won and they're not far off from winning again either. So you've got to find a way to combat that. And to me, it's got to be essentially this fan base is more starved for it than those other fan bases are. Mm -hmm. And if you win here, you will be held up above all others forever and ever. That has to entice you. And it won't entice anybody, everybody like it, you've got to find the right fit in order to get somebody that is kind of blown away by that. But if you do, and if he's that guy, you can take your negatives and turn them into a positive. So two things. One, fully, fully agree with that, by the way. Two things is the he doesn't want to be in the media fishbowl. We heard that. Right. So can you eliminate some teams based off that? conversation that may have been strong contenders. Well, I mean, that seems to be why he didn't look at the East Coast, right? I mean, if if you hear that it was the West Coast teams plus Texas and Chicago. Yep. Okay. Well, there you go. And then number two is, do you remember, and I think you were gone for this because Brock really made a big deal about it, was during the WBC, his pregame speech was, let's stop looking up to them Mm -hmm. and start being them. That is, I guess, supports the argument of what you just said of like, our our weakness was that we're not Team USA, and we need to stop thinking that way and start being who we are. That would be a strong argument for blind. I, I think there that you've I, I yes exactly that. I don't know that I remember Brock talking about that, so maybe I was out for you, that. I was out, out for day. some of the WBC. Out, it was when he had us running in circles. He wanted us to like yeah. the whole thing. He wanted us to play the Hoosier speech. We, we translated what Otani said. I'm yeah. really sorry. He, and he sent it to us at 9.30 yeah. p.m. at night. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I vividly remember. We'll, we'll talk to Brock here in about out. two and a half minutes for uh, for Blue 88. <laughs> but, yes, I'm sorry I wasn't here to deflect some of that that day. Because I know when Brock gets himself going on stuff like that, how to kind of be a shield and, and help you guys yeah, out. Thanks. But uh, I helped you guys the other day on a greatest showman bit that he wanted to do mid show about oh. after passing mention. Trust me. I knew he wanted that. Oh yeah. Had, just in case he tried to force the issue. I had the greatest showman cute. I, I was like a secret service agent jumping in front of the bullet <laughs> on that one for you guys. Cause I knew where that was going to go. But uh, I, I think you, again, yes, you've got to find a way to turn your weakness into your strength and take advantage of what the city is, which is not a huge media market. It's not going to have the intense pressure, but it is going to have a, a, a fan base that is super energized and will rally around him. He spent time here. He likes it here. Ryan Roland Smith has a little bit more on that. One of the things that I thought was interesting, and you you already knew this, is that he had been here the past couple of off seasons. Yeah. Been out here working uh Working out a driveline. Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. So it's it's a place where he has, I mean, obviously he has a very regiment schedule, but that's what he does, man. And yeah, he keeps it under wraps, but look, he's down there. He, he works at driveline, which is in Kent, Washington. 
and he he drops him from time to time. His whole offseason's based around what they give him, how they evaluate him, how they assess. He literally will assess once a month, go in and do the same stuff that they give to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that kind of helps a little bit. You know, if he is going to spend some time here, he obviously is here outside of baseball because there is going to be so many, there are going to be so many different things that come into play. And I will say this, there is, I'm going to say five people on this planet who have some sort of idea about the comments he's made as to what might transpire once we get into the off season, once he becomes a free agent. And that would be who? All right, I'm going to say mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> Not my mom and dad, by the way. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Otani. <laughs> his best buddy, his translator, him and his agent. That's interesting. Yeah, I was surprised that uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Roland Smith wouldn't be on that list of people that knew where Shohei's going to end up. But, hey, look, this may be the first time that Kent is the best-selling point we've got here in Washington, right? He's been to Kent, and now he's ready to go. I've been to Kent. I can't believe that didn't get out that he's been working out of driveline. Doesn't that seem like it that should? That would be the biggest selling point I would ever have in my like, unless that's part of the deal. Like, hey. You can't use me as a pit, like a. Uh, I'm sure it is, point. but you would still think it would get out. Yeah. I mean, JP was over there. We certainly found out about that. Uh, yeah, it's so weird that driveline is in Kent. That that has become like a baseball hub around uh, around the country. I but love it. it's exactly what we've seen, and maybe it'll be the thing that gets Shohei here. Brock would be excited about that, and he joins us right now for Blue Eighty Eight. This is Brock and Sox Blue Eighty Eight. Blue Eighty Eight. We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saul. Hey, buddy. How we doing? How we doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Michael? Doing, doing, doing really, well? Doing really well. Where are Good. you? Where are you? Pack, or Big 12 media day? Yeah, I'm in the uh, I'm in the bathroom at Jerry's World, sitting oh. on a toilet. First time doing Blue Eighty Eight from a stall. Why? Why, why are you, you why, why, telling us that? Why? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to find a quiet spot for you guys, kind of loud in the stadium. So I had to had to tuck myself into the bowels of the stadium and huh. thought this would be a good spot to do Blue Eighty Eight. Well, it's cool. I'm glad that the Big Twelve can still do Media Day. I'm glad that they have like a media deal and they can still do uh-huh. it. What uh-huh. uh, what happened? SEC, me- huh? And it's not good, Michael. I know. Question number one is what's what's up with Pac twelve? <laughs> well, it's it's not good. It's not 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 good. I just chatted actually with one of my buddies that been, he was used to work at ESPN as one of their kind of reporters, and he's bounced around different places, but still very connected. And he's echoed the same thing that it's just. Over and over and over, the commissioner and the athletic directors have said, oh, we're close. There's a deal. There's a deal. There's a deal. The deal's coming. The deal's coming. The deal's coming in March. The deal's coming in May. The deal's coming in June. The Pac-12 media days are in Vegas next week, and there's still no deal. And there is a lot of rumbling about some schools that maybe when this media day ends, that others will jump in. Here's, Here's the problem. The Big Ten the Big 12, the one thing they actually don't want to do is they don't want to be known as the death to the conference. They want the conference, they, you know, they just kind of want somebody else to make the first move. You make the first move. You make the first move. You know, you leave. One of these schools, Colorado, Arizona, you guys leave. You guys be the bad guy. Don't make the Big 10. Don't make the Big 12. Right? It's kind of that game of business right now where they're just trying to 
you know, I think some of these conferences protect some of their, you know, collegial nature and, and don't want to be the one when the book is written, when this is all said and done, like, yeah, yeah, you killed Oregon State, you killed Washington State, you killed a, a pretty proud conference for a lot of years when, you know, that's already been killed. When USC and UCLA did that, when those dominoes fell, a lot of the rest of this carnage was going to fall. But it feels like, and what I have sensed here at these media days amongst many of these members, is the Big 12 and the Big 10 don't want to be the one to put the final sword in. So they would rather have it from within and uh, keep an eye on those two aforementioned schools and what they decide to do in the weeks ahead. I'm surprised at that. I would think one of them would be pretty excited to put the sword in and be like, look how great we are, specifically the Big 10. But I guess that's not the direction they want to go. All right, question number two. Quarterback started last night, brought the Netflix series. Who uh, who else in the NFL? First of all, did you get to watch any of it last night? I did not. I was traveling okay. and we had a dinner with some people, so I did not. That will be on my to-do list. Who else in the NFL would you want a little behind-the-scenes look at their lives? Yeah, I, I would love a totally, totally in-depth look at like a... I mean, this is just nerdy, but it's just me. Like the the Monday game, Monday night game planning session, when everything goes in, when they have spent Sunday or Monday and hours and hours and hours. Okay, this is our plan, and this is how we are going to attack. This is the this is the chess match of how we are going to absolutely attack what we believe to be their most vulnerable forces. I think people will get such a kick out of it. You could sit there with Pete Carroll. And Clint Hurd on Monday night after they've watched all the hours and hours and hours of tape, and then they finally get into their into their meeting Monday night, put in their game plan for the week, and say, "Okay, this is what we're going to do," and really have that information, and then be able to go watch that game that following Sunday and go, "Okay, yep, that didn't work. That didn't work. Oh, that worked. Oh, they were wrong there. They were right there." I think it would be fascinating to see that really in depth, or maybe it's Friday as they button up the whole thing, and now they've got third down in and red zone in, and everything is in. And here we're going to come into our final kind of Friday game planning meeting of uh, uh, putting the final bow on everything and, and dotting our eyes and crossing our T's. And I, I would just, from an X's and O's standpoint and a schematic standpoint, kind of the schematic warfare, I think I would love that as much as anything else to see behind the Well, scenes. that's never going to happen, but I absolutely agree. That would be really cool. <laughs> Question number three. Uh, we're going to talk about this in a little more depth here in a few minutes, but uh, the uh, ESPN 10 best at every position list has been coming out, and now they're yeah. done with the defensive side of the ball. There were no Seahawks in the top 10 at any defensive position. Who's got the biggest beef? I think looking at the list, I think Quandre's got the biggest beef. I, I, I think that there's, a, I mean, Bobby's probably really close. Bobby's probably deserving of being... Seven, eight, nine, ten, as well. I think Quandre is close to being a top five safety when I look at the numbers, when I look at the tackles, when I look at the interceptions. He was what eleventh in the league in interceptions with four. Minka Fitzpatrick and Justin Simmons, two safeties, uh, led the league with six. So there, you know. But but the problem is, especially for Quandre and Tariq, you don't get the benefit of the doubt when you play on a defense that struggled as much as the Seahawks struggled. I'm sorry, you're just not going to get any, if they're splitting hairs or you're deciding this or that, you're just, oh, that's right, that defense, we watched it, they were a sieve. 
even though they were the last line of defense, and it wouldn't have mattered if it was Ronnie Lott and Deion Sanders back there at the, at the back end of the defense because most of the carnage and damage was on the front end. Um, yeah, I think that that is the, the challenge perception-wise for those guys that they're just not going to get any benefit of the doubt. But Quandre, tackles, interceptions, leaders, captain, pro bowler, and he put his case out. I don't know if you saw his yeah. tweet and his rebuttal. <laughs> his, uh, his rebuttal was pretty good, Your Honor. I mean, he had, he had quite a resume there to to fight, you know, kind of that perception, but that's what it is. It's a perception game when in a popularity game, and while he's been a pro bowler, Unfortunately, their defense just did not give him much leg to stand on. All right, that is today's Blue 88. I imagine they'll do a lot better when the offensive – did the offensive ones already come out? No, they'll come out. Yeah. Okay. No, those did not they'll do come better out there, yet. right? Well, you're probably not going to get a lineman, right? You're not going to get one no. of your rookies. Uh, you're probably not going to get a tight end, a singular tight end. A tight end group right. is a top 10 group, I but mean, you're D- not going to get a- – You're going to get DK. You're going to get DK or Tyler, I think. I don't know. Tyler always seems to get left out of these lists, so I don't know whether I you'll get him. I would think you get not DK. Gonna, you're not going to get Gino. You're not going to get a tight end. You're not going to get a lineman. You don't think there's any top. chance Gino gets top 10? No, there's not, right? No, no. People won't give him that. Nope. Nope. And then running back, you know, you're probably not going to get K9 in there as well. So I think your only chance is a little bit of what it was. Last year, I think DK, if my memory was right, wasn't DK the only one in the top 10 last year, too? I mean, so when you hear that, is this team just not good? Or, I mean, like, like one top, not top player at the position, top 10. That's sort of hard to fathom. I mean, are the Kraken good? Yeah, they were. were I mean, if you were to do that with the Seattle Kraken, right? I mean, I think it's. I think there's a similar conversation of this is the Jaron Reeds and the Dre Jones and the Bobby Wagners and the Devin Bushes and the Quandre Diggs. And these are not your top 10 players, but these are 10 through 20, right? This is 20 through 30. This is being built with an upper middle class. And then, you know, your young guys that have to, and that's why it was so critical that Charles and, and Abe and Ken and Tariq and those guys, that rookie class did what they did last year. They weren't just good. They flashed greatness, and they're going to have to continue to do that, and so will Jackson Smith and Jigba, and so will Devin Witherspoon, and so will Charbonnet, and so will this rookie class, too. Wow, pretty crazy. All right. How are we doing? How's uh, where, where are you? What You're in Jerry's world, so how's Dallas? Yeah. Uh, Dallas is 104 degrees when I landed yesterday. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it is – it's pretty hot, and I uh, saw some of my Fox people that were like me coming from Seattle in the All-Star game, and they were like, oh, my gosh, what? that was perfect. What about and next um, year? Yeah. Next year? Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if you realize this, so I'm in Jerry's world, 14 years old, still beautiful. The Rangers have built their new stadium and this whole complex next to it. It's mm-hmm. this Lowe's Live Hotel. Unbelievable. It's like this enormous casino. And then do you know what is right next to that? The old ballpark. Which is not even old, and it's still standing there. Like, what? What is this thing doing? Like, th- this is a perfectly good baseball stadium. It's just outdoor, and you can't play baseball here outdoor when it's 104 degrees. But it just sits right there amidst Crazy. everything else. That's so yeah. weird. It is so strange. It is so so strange. Well, text pretty weird plays. Yeah, well, that's just how they do it. Like, oh, okay, you need a new building? Let's just build this new thing right here. And this other <laughs> McMansion over here, well, it could just sit there. Yeah, we'll just let it we'll sit have, there empty. We'll just have it some concerts and some high school baseball and some other stuff. But, yeah, it's 
this this is this is pretty wild, man. Pretty wild down in the old Big D. Good stuff. All right, buddy. Well, we'll catch you tomorrow. Thanks for uh, for checking in with us from yeah. uh, you know a stall. That's uh, that's great. We really. <laughs> Taking us inside Education. in a way that we really didn't need necessarily. You could have but, easily just said like a green room, a right. lobby, a family room. Yeah, and, there's any number of ways you could have done that. going to self-flush when I stand. Goodbye. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Goodbye, Brock. Oh, man. Gross. All right. Do it. Well, that's Blue 88. We do that every day at 745. All right. No Seahawks in the top 10 of any of these defensive positional rankings. How serious is that? It's next. Brock and Salk. Sales Sports on 710. Salesports.com.